Yeah, thank you for tuning in. It's more than a podcast. Inexhaustible episodes, God's vast. Glorify Him as we broadcast the Lord's grace and God's wrath. More serious than a bomb blast. Full disclosure inside the title. No surprises, simply put, guys with Bibles. Yeah. Just some regular reborn reformed cats If it's in the Bible then they're gonna speak on that Cause the scripture is the final word okay. Competing ideas quite absurd Of this you can be quite assured <laughs> yeah. We were lost in the darkness of night immersed in sin But then the, the light, light emerged. emerged It was the Son of God, divine Christ that shines light The word in Genesis that assigned life in hindsight And was revealed through the prophets and apostles We magnify and expound on the power of the gospel Yeah, yeah Listeners and welcome to Guys with Bibles. I'm Lee, and I'm ecstatic today to speak with friend of the podcast, Timon Klein. We're here to talk about Psalm 19 together. How are you, Timon? Good, Lee. How are you doing? I'm, I am fantastic. Uh, I'm very excited uh, that you uh, were able to dive in on this uh, Psalm Reader series with me. I, I have to tell you, I this uh, the idea for this kind of came from. A listener that reached out on uh, on Twitter, uh, Michael is his name, and I, I've talked with him quite a bit uh, in the DMs. And he he was making a joke about where um, where Joe Biden could not pronounce the word psalmist. Did you hear this? <laughs> I did not hear this he one. Saying, no. He he was trying in one of the speech. He was trying to quote a psalm, but in the speech it was written on the teleprompter the psalmist wrote and he yeah. kept saying the palmist the palmist oh wow or or palm <laughs> he's like yeah he's like you guys should do a psalm series and, and just and call it the you know the palmist or whatever <laughs> the palmist series <laughs> so i What's went the, the other round my, I, I just called it psalm reader <laughs> yeah it's a little more straightforward it reminds me of my uh my hebrew professor in uh in seminary is uh from ireland so he he always pronounces pronounces it Sam, the Sam, <laughs> and you can't. I mean, it was, it was a week at least before I could figure out what he was talking about. Um, Which of the Sams, First Samuel or Second Samuel? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which Sam is it? <laughs> I think uh, uh, Sinclair Ferguson has gotten those jokes made about him at different times mm. too. I remember R.C. Sproul making a joke I'm about sure. him. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard him say he lectured the last semester I was there, but I didn't have him for anything. But he, uh, in the hallway one day, he did tell me my sunglasses were the coolest thing on campus. So I took that as a great, great parting gift for my my time at seminary. That was the coolest guy for a day, according to Sinclair Ferguson. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) That's like that's one of the best like reformed bona fides you could have. Non theological reformed bona fides. Yeah. Sinclair yeah. Ferguson thought I had cool sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> so we're so we're here today and we are we're gonna be talking about Psalm nineteen, is that right? That's so right. right on the yeah. street. 
Well, before I invite you to read it, was there a particular reason maybe that Psalm 19 sticks out to you as, as something you'd want to talk about on a podcast? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure it is to a lot of people. It's just one of my, uh, you know, fav- favorite psalms uh, personally. But I think it's, as I'll try to briefly demonstrate, I think it's a particularly uh, good Advent passage. Um, so I think it's fitting for the, the time of year as well is the, the main reason I chose it. Awesome. I think that's I think that's great. All right. Well, without any further ado, would you like to read Psalm 19? Absolutely. I will attempt to. And uh, is it okay <laughs> if I read from the from the Schofield Reference Bible? Is that is that good? <laughs> <laughs> Just leave the notes out of it, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't own one actually. Um, I did have to teach a Sunday school class one time on Romans, and there was a, a particular deacon that would only use the Schofield Reference Bible. And I, I, so I basically had to argue with footnotes for, you know, six weeks or whatever it was. It was awful. Um, oh, my okay. word. Um, beginning the psalm, uh, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament. I, I am going to read, um, I stopped myself. I am going to read from the King James Version. I'm not a King James only uh, for the first go through. I think there's one verse wow. that the ESV gets better, but with the, I always like to start with the KGV for the Psalms to preserve some of the poetic uh, nature of it. I think the best we can. It's we can hard do to beat English, that KJV so. cadence. <laughs> it sounds great. It does. Um, okay, so the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech; night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where this voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the end of the earth of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And and more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from the presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I, sh- and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Very nice. It does sound so good in the King James. (laughs) It does sound good, yeah. So, so, uh, so tell me a little bit about, um, about your particular, your particular reasons why, um, especially maybe for this time of year, 
that you were mentioning before. What uh, what about that yeah. stands out to you as a whole before we actually dive into the particular verse by verse? Look. Yeah, so I think the um, the basic structure of the the psalm gets at why um, I think it is a is a good Advent song psalm. So I would say that in um, in miniature, this is a story of redemption given to us in a you know relatively short a short psalm. Um, and the, the breakdown of the of the passage is in you know basically four blocks of of text. So you have uh, you know verses one through four a, the first half of four, and then the second half of four through six, and then seven through eleven, and then twelve through fourteen. So I, I'll mention those blocks again, but that's the basic breakdown I think. And in block one. As, as we can get into the is the expression of the law um, as communicated through uh, general revelation, um, but that Paul tells us all men have in Romans two, and then in in block two, the second half of four through six, um, I would say is the is the expectant um, expression of of the coming of Christ in the gospel, and this is how Augustine reads that passage. Um, and then in the third block, you see the, what the law becomes for those who are in Christ and have the gospel. It becomes a redemptive and converting mechanism and, and something that we rejoice in rather than something that's a terror to us. And then the final block is the, you see the effect of the gospel on the believer, that, that one who is uh, a servant of the law and attempting to keep it. And you see the, the effects of sanctification on the heart of the psalmist, um, which is, is a, uh, act of God's spirit upon him. So that's how I would break down the passage. And that's why I think, uh, because I think there is embedded in the psalm, um, a nod to Christ's coming and salvation through Christ. I think it's a good Advent passage. I think that makes total that sense. sense in, in a, mm-hmm. A really crucial part of what you're saying too is is that we have to read not only this psalm or the rest of the psalms with the entire Old Testament in light of Christ. And there, yeah. I know there are some yeah. within the church that frown on that idea that you mm-hmm. you should read the Old Testament on its own terms and then read the mm-hmm. New Testament on Old Testament terms. But it's mm-hmm. all if it's all inspired by God and and we believe that it is and the scriptures say that yeah. it is. Uh, we have yeah. to read old in light of new and new in light of old. Yeah. To get the yeah. full context and of the full counsel of God. Exactly. And I, I think that's especially so for the Psalms, right? I mean, you have the, um, you know, Christ himself quoting them at, at length, and many of them, uh, after he does so, become so evidently, you know, almost direct speech about him, if not uh, allusions to him. Um, and we know that if you were to take, the, as some of the people you do are referring to that want to strip Christ out of the Old Testament, which provides a lot of incoherence, in my opinion, to what's going on with the overall narrative of Israel. But if you do that, then I think there's a lot of uh, the Psalms in particular that don't make much sense. They, um, I mean, where, where's this, this redemption coming from for someone under the law? Um, so I, I, I think it has to be read that way, and especially the the Psalms are so much richer when we uh, read them in light of Christ. Well, and it's certainly the only way to make that third block make sense, which I don't, I don't want to spoil mm-hmm. that. We'll get, we'll get there too. Yeah. But, 
I, yeah. I absolutely agree. I think that is the only way to make verses 7 through 11 make any sense at all, is that we are yeah. now seeing yeah. the thing come out of the law. The yeah. law is not con- yeah. condemnation any longer. Right. How is that? Well, right. in Christ, of course. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's let's dive into this block by block then. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, uh, so let's, what are your thoughts, uh, the, the main points to come <clears throat> out of verses 1 through 4a? this uh, yeah, so, general revelation we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah, I think I think 1 through 4a is a, is a block, you know, I would title it the uh, Matthew Henry calls these things, the, the works of God, as the natural, immortal creatures, is how he refers to them. And I think Ooh, that's, that's exactly good. right. So there's, there's this, you know, inescapable revelation, uh, natural revelation that transcends, I mean, th- th- I think this is, important in the passage, it transcends, you know, any kind of geographic, cultural, or linguistic boundaries, right, or, or barriers. There's, uh, there's no speech or language in which the ver- voice is not heard. Um, so it's speaking a universal language that is inescapable to all men. And the, uh, the particular revelation that, you know, you're getting from this, uh, from God, which the psalmist clearly thinks is perspicuous to be able to say that. So we often talk about uh, the inscripturated revelation being uh, sufficient and perspicuous. Um, but the, to the extent that the, the natural revelation is meant to go, it also is sufficient unto that end and perspicuous, right? The, the psalmist is saying so here. Um, so it gives us this knowledge. And I think I, I am going to read one um, it's it's really just one sentence, but it's a long sentence from Matthew Henry on this of, of what he thinks this gets you specifically fr- about God and his nature. Um, that then looking forward to Romans two, um, you know, may it make man without excuse under the law, right? That he should know uh, enough to worship uh, the God that is the the creator. So this is Henry saying they, meaning the uh, the the things mentioned in the passage the natural works of God, they plainly speak themselves to be God's handiworks, for they could not exist from eternity. All succession and motion must have a beginning. They could not make themselves that is a contradiction. They could not be produced by a causal hit of atoms. That is an absurdity, fit rather to be bantered than reasoned with. Therefore, they must have a creator who can be no other than an eternal infinitely wise, powerful, and good God. Um, and so, and he goes on, on a bit more, but the, the point is he's, you know, reasoning through this and saying that if, if any man really takes account of what he sees and the, uh, you know, the, what Calvin would call the sense of divinity uh, that's implanted in man, he can escape uh, some of these basic truths is that something eternal and immutable itself, something of itself, so aseity, must be the creator of these things because all material existence has to have a beginning. That's what our empirical knowledge would tell us. And so whatever does that, um, we can also see that these, these works of creation, God's handiwork are good. So he must be good and he must be worthy of worship, right? So that's what you get from this, which makes you then without excuse for your idolatry. Right, because you have to deny that clear testimony of the created order in order to yeah. say there is no God and I will, mm. I will worship myself mm-hmm. or I will worship this tree or I will do such and such. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, the, the thing itself rather than things. Rather than the creator, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, yeah. I think in ver verse 2 it's interesting. We're, you know, we're talking mm -hmm. about the testimony of creation as speech. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it takes me back to that often used quote by St. Francis of Assisi where he says, uh, mm -hmm. or it's attributed to him. I don't know that it came out this mm -hmm. clearly, but, you know, preach mm -hmm. the gospel and if, if necessary, use words. Well, mm -hmm. even yeah. even creation here is not giving the explicit gospel, but it's still using speech. Mm -hmm. So there there is yeah. still testimony being given. It's not it's it's blatant. Yeah. It's not assumed. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and 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 I'm glad you, you mentioned that it's universal. It's not like you have to live in a place mm -hmm. that has mountains in order to for the, for right. the heavens to declare the glory yeah. of God. Or in a place yeah. with palm trees, or sand, yeah. or wide stretches of grass. You know, yeah. the entire creation does it. Whether you've seen yeah. all different types of creation or not, the entire creation yeah. uh, declares the glory of God. Yeah, You're, here, here without is excuse. Just the, uh, right, yeah, and here is just the sky. That's all he deals with, day and night. Yeah, the firmament, the sky, and the and the heavens. And Henry has a good a good line in there somewhere where he says. You know, this is appropriate um, for humans. Only humans really look upward. Animals look down because they're going back to the dust only. Whereas humans, we will we will know intuitively and from what we see that we go elsewhere. And so you're confronted with that reality by looking at the the expanse, you know, of the of the sky and the um, the firmament, um, and knowing that something is 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 there that. Uh, you came from and that your your destiny belongs to. Hmm. Um, Something much bigger and more so consequential yeah. than me, than me. Yeah, yeah, and it can and it's relentless, right? So it's day and night. You can't get away from it. <laughs> it's round the clock testimony. Yeah, Ra round the clock testimony. Anything you're doing. So then, um, how does this yeah. bring us into the second block? Yeah, so the, um, the the second block, beginning with 4B through 6, um, which which I think is um, flows nicely from the the first block, and, and some I think some scholars would would try to argue that this that the the joining of or, or the the composition of this psalm is awkward. That there's some that it could be the the um, combination of two older psalms, but I think it, it flows quite nicely for whatever, whether that's the case, um, the psalmist still decided to put them together for us, um, even if they're two older ones from the, the oral tradition or something like that. But I think they flow quite nicely because then you see, I mean, it's what we were talking about earlier about Christ being um, in the Old Testament. I think the ESV gets verse uh, Five or, or the end of verse four, the best, um, a, a better rendering of it in the KGB, where it just says, "In them, meaning the the works in, in the world, he has set a tent or a tabernacle for the sun." And of course, when, when you mention the sun like this, you know you think of Malachi four two, the sun of righteousness, which is a, a signal of gracious vindication for um, both for us and for himself. And so I think there's implanted in this if it's referring to Christ as Augustine takes it, um, there's a, a twofold kind of insight, which is one, the whole of creation, all of this is for the particular purpose of God's glory, 
specifically his glory through Christ, right? It, orchestrating all of this for the sake of his own glory and, and from the, uh, from creation through the fall to, to redemption and judgment. Um, and so this, it's, this revelation of Christ is hidden, it's masked, but it is implanted and builds upon the, the natural revelation that God provided through the earth, through his speech through the earth. Um, and it comes out of that, right? The tabernacle is set there, and, but then in verse, in verse five, the son emerges as a bridegroom from his chamber, right? And can't escape the bridegroom language and not think of Christ. Um, so I think the, this is the idea that it's emerging from you know, what, what all men have, but then there's this special entrance, this incarnation and advent of, of further revelation. And this is why I would say this block is, is getting at the gospel. The bridegroom emerges from his chamber. He descends to earth to, uh, to run the race, right? Which is something we associate with Paul mm-hmm. usually with uh, the Christian life. And, and Christ does that through his earned righteousness, right? As, as well as his uh, intrinsic righteousness, but his earned as well which we don't talk as much about. Um, and then he goes forth from the end of heaven. And I think this uh, has to invoke Philippians 2, 6 through 8, right? Christ's humility and condescension. So he comes from heaven um, where he uh, has perfect equality with the Father in their essence. But as he descends uh, to the earth in humility, he goes uh, to the ends of it, which we would... Uh, usually associate with death or or Sheol or hell, right? Wherever he descends after uh, running the race, which he does perfectly. So it's a, it's, I think a picture here of of Christ coming uh, and bringing of the the gospel full revelation um, and his his work there. Um, and of course, we know after that from Philippians as well that God you know highly exalts him and bestows the the name above every name. Uh, on him because of that work. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are are great um, references to make here. I I think you're right that the you can't escape that bridegroom language. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're we're very much trained and correctly to identify the bridegroom with Christ. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the and there's such purpose in this too. You know, the sun yeah. is not aimless. Like it goes mm-hmm. in its course and we, we track its movement. I mean, that's, that's the basis yeah. for, you know, how many hours we count in a day, how many days in a week, you know, is by the rising and setting of the sun. And, and mm-hmm. that is just a, a tiny uh, testimony to the sovereignty and steadiness of God uh, that we've seen in mm-hmm. Christ. Um, mm-hmm. I love that note that, that you mentioned in the uh, the rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them the the mm-hmm. incarnation and uh, death and resurrection of Christ and that he's mm-hmm. inescapable you know we have to reckon yeah. with him yeah you know the and, the, the, and, uh, and also the yeah go ahead no 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 after you oh no the well the and the um I think the, you know, ESV renders it as tent. I think tabernacle is good because uh, for the end of verse four, because the, the tabernacle, of course, is God's presence, but it's veiled, right? But then the, the, mm-hmm. the veil is torn when with Christ's coming and fulfillment of the sacrifice. So you, you have uh, the emergence of the sun from the tabernacle, um, you know, and, and removing the obscurity that may have been in the revelation before, 
because we know that, that the natural revelation is not saving, right? You can't know of Christ. You right. can't know of even particular, uh, you know, non-saving uh, things about, you, you know, uh, Thomas Aquinas, of course, would say that you can't know the Trinity naturally. It's just impossible. There's nothing like it. Um, so even those things we only get through further revelation um, and grasping them by faith, which has to be, you know, through Christ. Um, so you're, he's bringing, um, you know, revealing God in the, in the flesh, and he's, he's coming out of the obscurity that was there before in the, in the former block. And then is is you know running uh, through his entire mission, his purpose of coming to Earth, which is I think the the latter clauses there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I agree completely. Now we go we go from there. We've we've already extrapolated this much truth out of general revelation mm. alone, and now we get mm. dumped directly into special revelation. Um, yeah, precisely in yeah. the law of the Lord. Now mm-hmm. I know for a lot of a lot of folks within the church, talking about the law is a very fraught idea. Um, mm-hmm. We're we're taught to see the law being in opposition to gospel, um, mm-hmm. opposing it, or if we treasure the law too highly, um, we become uh, works righteousness preachers. Um, right. I, I, as a Reformed Baptist, don't see that as the case. But maybe mm-hmm. before we go into this, what's what is your perspective on on how how a Christian can see the law of the Lord as perfect, um, true, making mm-hmm. us making the simple wise, reviving the soul, enlightening the eyes? Mm-hmm. How is it possible for something that we're we're told is only brings condemnation? How how can we believe yeah. that? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think we'll be in agreement in all of this. But the, um, I mean, I think the order of, of this passage um, implicitly explains it. So if you had the that um, it, you're in the first, you know, four, you are dealing with an element of of the law, which is the the natural law known by pe- all people, which is only condemnation, right, apart from Christ. But then Christ comes, and then you go back to the law again, and something about it is transformed, and not. The law itself is not transformed, but our disposition towards it as those in Christ is transformed. Um, so the law becomes, uh, first of all, the law must be perfect and, and rigid and, and a, an expression of, of God's um, being and character in order for it to matter at all that Christ fulfills uh, the law perfectly um, and does something we can't do. Um, otherwise, why did we need him? Right. So the law needs to con- and part of preaching the law um, regularly is to remind ourselves of that, right? I, I mean, I think to some extent, every good sermon needs to have some, um, you know, you can't, you can't get obsessive about it, but some element of this, uh, especially in your, in your overall liturgy of uh, reminding ourselves of the law and the need for Christ and then the work of Christ and our redemption in Christ, right? That's yep. over mm-hmm. and over again so that it's impressed upon us. So if you stop preaching the law, um, there, there's two problems. One, you, you don't maintain that perspective, but then two, there is a, a positive place for the law, the same law, um, in the life of the Christian. And our, our disposition towards it now is that we are, um, it, it becomes gracious to us, right? It's something that now has a converting, or I would say sanctifying power, 
um, in us. We do it out of, uh, we conform to it out of gratitude for the work of Christ and not because we do the work ourselves, um, but it continues to have a transformative power in our lives by showing us how God would like us to live um, and how we can um, sh- express our thankfulness and worship for him um, now that we're able to joyfully perform it in Christ because the, the pressure is off, right? We don't no longer have to rely upon our own works for that. Um, and it's, it's Jeremiah 31, 33, right? Under the new covenant, we get a new law within uh, our hearts from God. Well, this isn't a new law substantively. It's, it's a new disposition towards the law, right? And under the new covenant with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are able to do it um, uh, out of love and, and, and are truly able to um, enjoy the law for what, what it is. Right, which is a, an expression of God's uh, righteousness, and there, there is where we find, you know, through uh, in a condescended version to our nature, um, what our righteousness is supposed to look like as as we live, and how we are supposed, what we're supposed to delight in, how how um, how we're supposed to think of wisdom, um, and all the things that are listed here in, in seven through eleven. And there's uh, the end of eleven is that there's a great reward in doing this. Mm. Um, and there's mm-hmm. nothing in scripture that says, um, you know, the, the, the big thing these days in other areas is egalitarianism. But I think a lot of Christians have an, um, a sort of egalitarianism about um, sin and reward. And, the, and scripture doesn't give us that. Not all sins are treated the same by scripture. It doesn't mean right. they're all not offensive to God. And, and likewise, there's a lot of language about um, the Christian life being connected to reward. The, it doesn't mean that everyone's reward in heaven will be exactly the same either. There's talk of, um, in the new heaven and new earth, you know, certain offices and those sorts of things. Uh, so mm-hmm. complete egalitarianism is, doesn't seem to be there. Um, and so in keeping the law, even though our salvation, uh, you know, kind of the, the bare minimum is not dependent upon that, um, it still delights God for us to do that, and there's a, a reward promise for doing so. Yeah, the, the the law of the Lord, the all the precepts, those are theonistas. You know, these are all yeah. God breathed, mm-hmm. and they're beneficial if we believe Paul's testimony, which we should, I, and we do. Mm-hmm. Um, they mm-hmm. are useful. Um, they might be useful in a different way than, say, the explicit gospel: repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That is certainly mm-hmm. beneficial. Um, but but mm-hmm. the law is so beneficial to the sanctification of a Christian. Um, and, and it has to be rooted, like you said, and I, I just want to make that very clear, that we have to see the law as the exposition of God's righteous nature. So we can mm-hmm. say the law of the Lord is perfect because he's perfect. The command of mm-hmm. the Lord is pure because he's pure. Um, mm-hmm. The rules of the Lord are true because he is true. He can't lie. Mm-hmm. So and and we can and we can quibble you know and and divide the law you know and see what what parts are abrogated by Christ what parts are mm. uh, that that have been fulfilled so the ceremonial law he has fulfilled um, yeah he's the he's the prophet priest and king uh, so some of the um, the laws uh, governing the society of Old Testament Israel are fulfilled in him. And then there are mm-hmm. moral laws that are beneficial for us to follow in our sanctification. 
Um, mm-hmm. But but you're but but the power of condemnation has now come out of the law for the Christian. There is yeah. now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So the law yeah. has has actually become our tutor. It's it's mm-hmm. helping us. Yeah. Um, God uses it to train us in in righteousness. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm more than happy to echo the words of seven through eleven here because uh, mm-hmm. I I believe all of Scripture is uh, is to be desired. Um, all mm-hmm. the words of the Lord are true and righteous, desirable and sweeter than honey, whether they're in the New Testament yeah. or the Old Testament, because it's it's God's yeah. word. Yeah. And I, and I would just add on the, um, I, I, all of that, is, I think it's exactly right. And the, even on our division of, of the law, which I think is, is good. And I think our confessions, um, you know, promote that and have that in there as well. The, you know, the serum, we're no longer bound by the ceremonial law. Um, and the, the particular civil law of, uh, the, you know, of Israel is, is no longer, uh, binding on us either, but the, the moral law is. But there is a, uh, especially in the 17th century, if you read on, on this topic, they frequently will say that this, the civil law of Israel is still binding unto its general equity and morality. So embedded in that is something beneficial for us because it's the only example in history we have of where God acted as the legislator. And so what's important about that is in your breakdown of, um, of law generally, you know, human law must reflect or, and be, um, and conform to the natural law, um, which is, which comes from God, um, and, and cannot contradict the moral law as re-expressed in scripture, especially the Decalogue and the Sermon on the Mount, so the two mounts. Um, but the, but human law has to find um, the right application of the natural law and, and of course, de- develop some of those things, right? And, and some of that is just for convenience and whatnot. But the, the only time in history God has done that himself was in Israel. And so older theologians would say there is much for um, contemporary legislators and lawgivers to learn on how, adjusting for circumstances, you do apply the law equitably and morally. Um, so I think, so I think there's much use even for those parts that we would say are abrogated, um, by Christ coming, um, even for, even practical use just for how we, um, live in society. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I, I hope the, uh, the anti-theonomists out there aren't getting too scared right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes the mm-hmm. uh, the the general equity uh, language can can scare some people sometimes, but yeah. but no, you're right. There yeah. there is benefit too, even even in those things. I mean, there, there's a reason yeah. that it's yeah. still bound up in the Bible. Yeah, it is beneficial. Yeah. All right, the uh, the last block here then. Yeah, um, last block, twelve through fourteen. Um. And I think, you know, 12a, the first, first part, um, who can understand his errors, um, of course, reminds us of, of Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Um, and you see a lot of this uh, language echoed in, in Paul as well, um, especially in, in Roman. Well, it, at the end, the same passage we, I mentioned earlier, Romans 2. Uh, you know, 
14 and 15 are talking about how the Gentiles have the law um, and have it from from nature, right? Uh, which is, is what was discussed in the first block here. But then at the end of that, in 2.16, it talks about how God will judge the secrets of men in Christ. Um, so it's, it's, you know, exposing Christ is also the judge, and it's according to God's law still, and even the secrets of the heart. Um, so the, the psalmist here, from his knowledge, you know, already demonstrated, uh, clearly knows that, um, and has uh, the good beginning of wisdom, it's the fear of the Lord, and is asking, as he does, you know, in Psalm 139, for God to search him um, and lead him in the way of everlasting. And so he knows that there's this, um, you know, internal tension, which, of course, uh, you know, Paul writes about also where he, he does the he does not do the good that he wills. So there's the kind of uh, introspective uh, tradition in Christianity begun with uh, Psalms gone into the uh, into Paul and then taken up by Augustine of where we see that. Uh, acknowledgement of internal tension, even for those that are in Christ, where we're trying to put off the old man still. Um, and in verse 12 here, he's you know begging for God to cleanse him of his secret faults, his error, um, and keeping him back from presumptuous sin, so he doesn't have those things don't have dominion over him. Um, so th- this is why I say this block is the one of the Christian life business of uh, sanctification. It's asking. Uh, it, he clearly acknowledges that only God has the power to to do this in him, to make him conform to the law. Wow. Uh, that was so masterful. I have nothing to add. <laughs> uh, okay. okay yeah, great. That's, that's, yeah. And that would, that would have been everything I would have said and more. Um, yeah. Dang, and again, and again I think it's pretty... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, I think it's significant too that the the last verse is the first time he he calls him his redeemer, right? So it's at the end yes. of this, the through uh, the the perseverance of the saint here, right, all the way at the end. Uh, you know, we often we're justified, therefore we're going to be redeemed. Well, well, of course, but God is begun to work in us and until he's through with that um on this earth um it's it's not over we're redeemed at the final judgment and that's even after you know god has done a sanctifying work in us and then an ultimate glorification so it's at the very end that he calls god his redeemer when the when the work is finished that's so good and and, and really i think it follows naturally from the person who has reckoned who has who's reckoned with general revelation has has um reckoned with the law seen his failure called out for salvation continues to to wrestle against his sin uh continued to uh, dive into special revelation you're you're going to be you're going to be repenting you're going to be seeing sin in your heart and and calling out for for continual um, forgiveness for sanctification for help against even mm-hmm. these presumptuous sins uh, yeah you seek to yeah. be under god's dominion not the dominion of your own sin yeah i think that's the, I, the natural I, call of yeah. the redeemed heart yeah yeah and i think it, you know just the we were talking about earlier the law becoming you know gracious to us and we love it um you know the the psalm begins with speech declared by god through his handiwork 
and then it ends with a plea in the last verse for his for the Christian's own speech to be acceptable to him, meaning of how we and meditation, so how we think about God and how we proclaim him in conformance to the law, which is his own revelation of himself. So it needs to be acceptable to God according to that, which is, again, why it's important to still continue to preach the law, because we want our own mm-hmm. speech about God to conform to his own revelation. Fantastic. Well, that's um, any any final words in the last couple minutes that we have here? Because I, I had that's nothing all I to got, add to man. that. <laughs> We've come to the end of my notes. That's all I got. Um, I love Psalm 1914 Uh, it's one of my favorite Mm. verses Mm. and I use that constantly in my own prayer practices Um, especially in the morning you know before my mouth has said many things before my heart has meditated on very many things to refocus you know what my what my life is supposed to be Um, I want to I want to say and do the things that are acceptable in God's sight and magnify his name and don't magnify mine or make me look um just like the world to make me stick out like a sore thumb for the gospel um yeah that's that's hard but it's Mm -hmm. it's a good thing to ask for and um he does Mm -hmm. bless he does answer those prayers with a yes (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. well time and where can folks find you online if you would like them to find you I'm gonna hear more of your pearls of wisdom. Uh, oh boy, um, I am on on Twitter at uh, at uh, T Lloyd Klein, all lowercase, um, and I am um, I have a blog on Patheos called the uh, Cantankerous Calvinist, and um, I write there fairly regularly. And then I also write regularly for Modern Reformation and uh, Conciliar Post. Um, write, I, I write frequently for Founders uh, Ministries as well and um, some other places every now and then. So, Excellent. Well, thank you again for coming on, guys, with Bibles. It's been a pleasure talking through this song with you. And um, you're, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is Guys with Bibles, and we're out. <laughs>